0: trail and ultra runners. What is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coop Cast. As always, I'm your humble host, Coach Jason Coop. And this episode of the podcast, I can guarantee there are a lot of people tuning in today, simply from the fact that the word cannabis is in the title. There are few areas in today's sports world that generate more interest and more controversy in the use of cannabis in sport and so i wanted to tackle this topic a little bit with somebody who i feel is really starting to be at the leading edge of a lot of the research which is very nascent right now he's at the leading edge of a lot of this research and that is professor jamie burr at the university of guelph up in canada and one of his review papers recently caught my eye and that is Cannabis and athletic performance, which is in the uh, uh, which is in the journal Sports Medicine, and it recently came out. I will link that up in the show notes. I feel that is an article that just about anybody can read. So if you are interested in further understanding this topic, I encourage everybody to check that article out. And what you will find throughout that article and is a theme that is prevalent throughout the course of this podcast is we really don't know a whole heck of a lot. And the reason I think that Jamie is on the cutting edge of this research is his research department is starting to tackle some of these very hard questions. And we talk a lot about about his research design and what they are going through and what they're taking their, uh, their subjects through throughout the course of this podcast. In an effort of full disclosure, I am not a cannabis user, but I'm also not a hater. And I realize that there are a lot of listeners out in the audience that either use cannabis recreationally uh, or they want to use it in some way to improve their athletic performance. And I think that regardless of what group you fall into, you're well-served from the information that is contained in this podcast and and has also started to come out of Jamie's research group. We also talk a little bit about the potential ergogenic effects of cbd which is one of the hottest nutrition supplement categories that you can find out there it seems like every athlete on the face of the planet endurance athlete or outside the endurance uh, realm is taking some form of cbd And we start to talk about a little bit about what evidence actually exists with this particular supplement and how athletes can potentially use it and what they need to watch out for I love this conversation. Jamie's brilliant. It was a really fun one. We tried to keep it as colloquial as possible. It did get a little bit silly at times. I hope you guys enjoy the banter. I'm gonna get right out of the way. Here is my conversation with Jamie Burr. But it's always a fun topic, right? I mean, it seems to come up more and more and more, and if anything, during the here in the United States, You know, there's this big controversy at the U.S. Olympic trials um, where they had an athlete uh, test positive for marijuana in competition. And, you know, it got kind of the ire of, you know, AOC and some people, you know, in Congress. And that always turns the attention back to... You know what should the water protocols be or what you know should it actually ban should it not be banned are we infringing on people's rights and things like that so it puts research like it puts research like this and reviews like this kind of more more in the spotlight and more and more pertinent
1: yeah i gotta be honest when that happened like we were watching from the sidelines and and we already had this article um written and I actually reached out to the editor-in-chief. I was like, you got to
0: get this out there. Like, this is, this is, you know, jump on this. <laughs> take advantage of all the irons hot, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You're going for all those uh, all those use metrics, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was a little bit late coming, but um, it'll be an interesting landscape for sure. We, we Well, we can talk about some of this stuff today, I guess, but... Um, We've got some interesting work coming out that I think is going to address some of those questions. So
0: that's cool. I want to I want to talk about this because that's the nature of having a review paper versus things that are coming up where you can talk about like individual things. But I didn't realize that you had an ultra marathon tie to kind of the inspiration behind doing this review. So why don't you go through and explain and explain that first? Because I do think that there's like some cultural significance there that trail and ultra runners have to be aware of uh, more so than a lot of other sports?
1: Well, I guess I'll start off by saying, I mean, I didn't until somewhat recently consider myself a cannabis researcher. Um, My my background is actually cardiovascular physiology. And if you look at um, my work dating all the way back to my postdoc, when I was on the West coast of Canada, uh, we really were looking at ultra um, type stuff. So we did a a bunch of work in ultra running um, and just trying to understand what What is the body's response to these stresses? So to tie it into today's conversation, I mean, what occurred to us back then, it was illegal in Canada to be using cannabis, but it's uh, widespread in Vancouver and in the area. Um, We had a bunch of runners that would come back and say to us, um, oh, yeah, the run was great, but, um, you know, I was high from whatever time to whatever time. And we kind of look at each other and go, huh, I wonder what that does to our measures, um, which were, you know, echocardiography and (laughs) vascular measures.
0: It wasn't Um, something that was being controlled for is what you're saying.
1: No, I mean, (laughs) they didn't tell us they were going to do it. I mean, obviously there's nothing we could do to stop them either. Um, and I mean, there's so many layers to those questions as well, right? Like if you're out smoking a joint, is that different from taking some, uh, edibles? Um, I suspect that it probably is, but quite honestly, we didn't then, and we still don't really now know what those differences would be.
0: Um, and so imagine that you're out at an ultra marathon, unbeknownst to you, there's a bunch of people smoking pot on the trails that just happened to be involved in your research. So literally that was the inspiration for this, this, this paper that we're going to discuss.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that's part of it. Um, in, in fairness, uh, the other part, and I should give credit to him. Um, I have a PhD student, Christian Chung, a really bright young guy. And he came to me when he was a fourth year student. Um, and this was before cannabis was legalized in Canada. And he said, uh, "I think we need to get ahead of this. I think we should look at, at, you know, the effects of cannabis and exercise." And I remember saying to him quite clearly at the time, "I was like, is that is that who you want to be in grad school? Like, you want to <laughs> be the pot pie? So he, he dragged me kicking and screaming into this area. Uh, but here we are, three or four years later, um, and and he's he's really pushing it forward on a world stage of like what we can uh, what we can research and and what we need to understand. Um, whether it applies to prolonged exercise or you know, even Olympic level. So.
0: you know, you know what's funny is, is like there's this old uh, there's this old joke uh, amongst the uh, the research crowd where they just say it's easy to get college students to participate in studies about caffeine and beer, right because they'll, you know, just kind of like pour pour in all pun in, all pun intended. But because of some of like the legal issues surrounding cannabis use, I'm sure you would get the same enthusiasm. Amongst recruiting college age students to participate in that type of research, like "Hey, let's go get high and get, go exercise or something like that," but it's yeah. it's problematic to do the research it's to do the research itself because of the restrictions around it in in, in certain areas.
1: One hundred percent. So I think um, for those who who don't know the area or maybe haven't thought about it, um, obviously prohibition has been a huge thing, and so there's been very little work done. There was a, there was some work done in exercise specifically in the seventies and eighties. We look back at some of that. I mean, some of it was very well done, particularly for the time. Uh, some of it we laugh about now because they have lines in their in their scientific papers that say things like, um, participants toked until visibly high. <laughs> I, I don't,
0: that was the measure. <laughs> no,
1: yeah. Um, I don't know how you get away with that That was anymore. the
0: control, right? Visibly. yeah. yeah that's hilarious. <laughs> so
1: to your point, I mean, we kind of laughed at like, hey, we should have gone and got a Doritos sponsorship for the work we're, <laughs> we're getting into. But um, there are still very real barriers. So um, in the U.S., uh, I know it's extremely difficult. There are some groups in Colorado that have found some clever ways to get around some of the existing laws. Um, in Canada, it is legalized. Uh, we can actually buy cannabis from our government and it will just show up at your door. Yet in a research setting, um, it's still classed with very hard drugs. So um, it's actually in the same category as like heroin. So you can imagine the restrictions that go on having that in a research lab, administering it to people, the safety um, concerns that come with it. So um, that actually, that took us about three years uh, in our lab to sort of get through that. But we're now at the point where we've started giving people cannabis in the lab and we're We're starting to understand what are the effects at rest and during exercise.
0: Yeah. As you alluded to, there's, there's similar restrictions here in the U S where legally it might be available. And I live in Colorado. I can go down the street and purchase cannabis recreationally or medically if I wanted to. But to incorporate it into a research setting, you can cleverly jump through some hoops, which I don't think we should discuss that on this podcast. Otherwise, I might have somebody knocking at my door, and that's, that's, that's trouble that I don't want. Um, so we're on caveats, right? Um, the, and I think one of them is the research is limited uh, in large part just due to a lot of the restrictions and prohibition that exists. But in addition to that, I think before we go, before we dive into this any further, because we are going to talk about the effects of cannabis and CBD on athletic performance, and and we'll probably dribble into health as well. There, there are some WADA caveats that we go that we have to go through as well. And this is a really interesting landscape because it's changed over the course of the last five years, and I'd say actually changed changed quite dramatically. I I I just happen to be fortunate enough; I live a couple of miles away from USADA, and you know, I run into those. Folks over there in our small athletic circles and getting their perspective on things is always very interesting because they have the you know insider knowledge on some of the motivations and what really kind of goes on behind the scenes. But suffice it to say that it's banned in competition per water rules. They have gradually upped the threshold every few years to the yeah. amount of THC that is in you, that, that can be found in your blood or urine. And I can't remember which test they prefer on that, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, But they've gradually ratcheted up the threshold uh, more and more every year, specifically because they don't want to catch habitual users that are using it recreationally outside of competition, but then are not using it in competition because there's this decay factor in terms of how long it will show up in your system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, a few pieces in there. I mean, for those who don't know, um, one of the interesting things about cannabis and cannabis use is that because it's fat soluble, it stays in our system a long time. So, um, you know, three months later, it could show up that like you've used it. So, um, very valid point of what does WADA care about and what do they want to test for? Do they want to test for people that are using it in competition or out of competition? And, um, and that gets, it gets pretty, uh, pretty quick. Um, I think the other piece that we need to recognize is, you know, water has um, specific things that they look at when they decide if something is okay or not to be used in competition. Um, And one of the big ones or the two big ones I would say that that we really need to consider with cannabis is, um, is it safe? And quite honestly, we can dig into that. Um, I don't know if that's totally well known yet. Um, Does it give you an advantage? And we can talk about the existing literature and that really comes uh, from this review that I think we're going to talk about today. Um, and then the other one is the spirit of the sport. And that one's a little bit more uh, of a gray area. Um, but, you know, does does taking something go against the spirit of the sport and fair competition.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I think it's a, that's very good context because it's important to recognize. And, and most people, even people who are involved in sport, don't understand that WADA does have this three point test, test is the wrong word for it, but they have this three point kind of checklist of which they go through to determine if a, if a substance or method should be banned or not, does it give the athlete an advantage? Does it have the potential to cause the athlete harm? And is it within the spirit of the sport? And those are really, you know, a few of those, especially the spirit of the sport thing is a really fuzzy area. And as you mentioned, the health piece on a lot of these substances and methods, we don't quite know. But it's important to understand that it is a three-point test and it all, and it doesn't always come down to does it give an athlete an unfair advantage, which is the typical mindset that people have once they hear, oh, it's banned in competition or it's a banned drug or something like that. There is more to it. And it has to cross the threshold on two of those three areas, not just one, for WADA to consider it a banned substance.
1: Yes. And, and I think um... – I mean, they need to consider that in a larger context too. So if we go with that spirit of the sport, let's say that we decide it's okay for use. We as WADA. For a, yeah.
0: a I don't want that job. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, but I mean, we need to think about the context of use. And so if it, it remains illegal in many countries around the world, um, is that within the spirit of the sport? If you decide it's okay to use for some people, but others wouldn't have access. And so uh, it, as I say, it does get very complicated. Um, I don't want to name names here at all, but, I have spoken with people from the IOC and WADA who um, have heard about the research we're getting into, and they're very interested because at least some of them would also like to see this problem go away. I mean, they spend a lot of time and money and energy testing for something, and it, you know, if it doesn't hit all those tenets of uh, something that should be banned, man, it'd be nice if it, that headache went away for them as well. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, po- the policy side of it, that's not going to be our area of expertise. We'll let the policy eggheads over at WADA kind of figure that out and you can contribute to that by, via, via via your research. And maybe I can contribute to that just via the spirit of the sports side of things. There we but let, So let, let's talk a little bit about cannabis use and specifically its effects in, in the athletic realm. And keeping in mind that, you know you're in, you're partially inspired uh to 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 take a look at this through an ultra running avenue and the audience that we're speaking to are a bunch of ultra runners so we're already putting ourselves through a tremendous amount of physical stress during the course of training and racing um i'm gonna link up the paper in the show notes so people can can go and read it and i i find it easy to read i think this is somebody without a huge science background is something for them to easy to read and to grasp some of the major points on it but to but to summarize it and you can you can really take the paper as an outline to do this what are like the major key takeaways when you started to dive into this in terms of how cannabis affects athletic performance
1: Sure. I mean, I think there's a few things we need to consider about cannabis use. Um, amongst them, like, why do people use it is is one thing. And, and there has been a fair bit of work um, that we do summarize in there about um, patterns of use and prevalence of use. Um, I'll very quickly say that probably more people are interested or have used it recreationally or with sport than many would expect, Um I think, uh, and I don't want to date us here, Jason, but our generation probably looks at these things different from others. And certainly there's regional differences as well. Um, so the acceptability of use is part of that as well. But we do see patterns in terms of like what types of sports use it. Um, I'm going to stereotype here from the research done in France, but you know, it's the uh, free spirited sports and sliding sports, as they call them, like snowboarding, <laughs> skiing, Um speaking to the current audience, right? It is fairly prevalent in ultra endurance because I think the motivations that people get into those sports may, um, may have some cultural links to that as
0: well. Yeah. Mixed martial arts as well. They've got a pretty good foothold or they have a really good, uh, like not good, but their culture is kind of immersed in cannabis and and CBD use.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then I think as we sort of move into more, um, I don't want to say mainstream, but for lack of a better word, institutionalized sports, if you will, um, Hard to say if it's all about less acceptance or just less admitting, <laughs> but um, we, we don't see we don't see the, the rates being as high. So I think there's that side that's certainly important. Um, but from the angle I approach it, which is as a physiologist, it's understanding what effects um, does cannabis or the constituent products, meaning you know those that cause um, changes in the way we feel and think and um, THC based primarily, or like CBD or other constituents as well. So what are the physiological effects of that? Um, And how do they interact with normal physiology? How the body tries to maintain homeostasis? And then when you add exercise on top of that, what changes? So that's kind of how we try to sort of go through that.
0: One of the big areas of focus that you brought out in the paper is the specific effects on the cardiopulmonary system. And I want to spend a lot of time talking about that because that's one of the things that we're the most concerned about in an endurance sport. It doesn't matter whether you're a cyclist, triathlete, runner, ultra runner, whatever. It's cardiovascular endeavor. And if athletes are ingesting substances either recreationally or as an ergogenic aid that potentially have an effect on the cardiopulmonary system, we need to, we need to take note for it, right? I mean, that's a that's a, that's a a big, big deal because the system is under enough stress already and so I want I want to I want you to walk through this and one of the things that I want to pay particular attention to that uh, was brought to my attention um, when I mentioned this on one of my social media channels that I was going to bring you on board is how the route of administration plays an effect and potentially what those effects are whether somebody is smoking or they're taking or they're taking an edible or they're taking drops or whatever and what we actually know about that. but start at a fundamental le- level of how, cannabis and THC actually affects the cardiopulmonary system.
1: Sure. So, um, when we say cardiopulmonary, we need, we need heart and lungs. So let's start with heart. Um, a lot of the work that has been done to date has been done in animal models for probably obvious reasons, right? It's, it's a whole lot easier to test rats or, or bigger mammals, um, for safety and to get it through your ethics forward. Um, there has been some done in humans. A lot of it, as I alluded to before was done in the seventies and eighties. And we can, we can take some stuff from the literature that's out there, but we need to recognize there are major limitations as well. So um, I want to start with that just so we can put that in context. Some of those limitations are the fact that cannabis has changed a lot <laughs> since the 70s. And 80s. <laughs> uh, scientists that work on growing it and, you know, at-home scientists as well, they, they've, they've made it stronger and uh, they've targeted it and There's all sorts of different strains. So it used to be cannabis uh, in the, the research that we found is about 1% to 2% THC. Um, you can get a whole lot stronger than that now. So we need to be aware of that when we think about dose effects. Um, the other thing that really jumped out to me from digging into the literature is in the actual exercise world, there's maybe four or five papers that really tested that. And I think that's a shocking revelation. Uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I I don't envy WADA that they had to make these decisions on very limited data. So, um, of those four or five papers, one of the things that we stress is that, um, though there is insight to be gained, a lot of it, like the papers are well done for what they intended to do. And that was not actually looked at exercise performance. So if you dig into them, they're typically done in older populations um, and they often had disease, (laughs) like heart disease. So um, when we think about how that might affect the heart, we need to keep that context in mind. But here's what I will say about um, cardiac effects. It appears that there is a, a direct effect on the way that the heart is going to function. Um, there's some evidence that suggests it may be sympathetically mediated. So when we when we talk about sympathetic system, we mean like that's your fight or flight system. So um, when we start to exercise, I don't try not to make this too much of a science lesson, but when we start to exercise, there's two things that happens. The rest or digest system, our parasympathetic is withdrawn. That makes heart rate go up. And then sympathetic comes in and it says, hey, let's rev up that engine. Obviously, when the heart's beating, that's how we get oxygenated blood to where we need it. In the literature that exists, um, it appears one of the major effects of whole cannabis, so that which has THC in it, is to actually rev up the heart pretty quickly. So um, the prevailing understanding is that we probably are not going to see a performance increase as a result of that because the heart is kind of revving in the red zone already. And so um, our ability to increase that further is limited because we've hit the top. And we may start to limit things like cardiac output because you can only pump so much once it's going so fast. You got to get the blood in to pump it back out.
0: So so, so, uh, let me try to summarize a little bit. Potentially, it could be a performance negative from a cardiopulmonary perspective, but... I know this is where you're going, so I'll, I'll lead in with the, but, but, and now you can yeah. continue. <laughs> yeah. But,
1: um, first of all, I would say, uh, as I kind of alluded to, there, there are some limitations to the way that that was done. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll set up what we'll probably talk about later. We're going to revisit that and we're going to look at it uh, more specifically with exercise performance as an outcome. And that's actually never been done. Um, There was exercise testing, and they took them up to VO2 max, which tells us something, but it was never actually about performance, so we're going to look at that. The other thing that we need to consider is, I mean, if if we're using a psychotropic drug, um, yes, we need to consider what it does to the heart, for example, or the way the muscles contract, but we also need to consider what it does to the brain, because anybody that's raced before knows that a lot of that race happens between your ears. So um, I'm not a sports psychologist, but I am quite certain that if – If you feel different about something whether it makes the pain feel more or less um your motivation to keep pushing into that dark place may be different
0: and one of the things related to that and i know this is not your area of expertise but i just want to kind of mention is that in a trail running application there's a certain amount of eye foot skill that goes into not only the performance but the safety aspect of the sport And I kind of look at that proposition of, well, if you're compromising that intentionally by ingesting a substance, maybe some people think it's better. I think this is where it comes down to. Like, I look, I'm not a cannabis user, so I have no idea personally, right? But when I look at it intellectually, I look at it, look at that as a barrier and potentially a safety issue. But the people that I talk to that are cannabis users, they're like, no, 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 I'm way better on technical trails after I've, after I've smoked a joint than I am, you know, just kind of normally running. And to me, that just intellectually doesn't make sense. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, um, I can't really comment on that either, but I think that is absolutely something we need to think about, right, is the safety of it. I, I think um, when we take it to the ultra running crew as well, there are differences here that we need to consider because, I, as I said, like, the heart does have a limit. It can only beat so fast, um, but that probably only applies to work being done up around VO2 max, right, and that may um, have a real applicability in marathon running where you're going all out for two and a half hours. But an ultra marathon running, um, I don't need to tell your audience. I mean, that's not really what it is. I mean, some people are running at a very high intensity, but most of us are going to be kind of plodding along, yeah. and so maybe that limitation um, is not the same.
0: So, okay, we're going to skip forward a little bit to like what you want to study about it. And to, to summarize, right, you've got a li- there's a little bit of what I would call mechanistic speculation yeah. that THC use. Can be a performance limiter specifically through the cardiopulmonary system that hasn't been explored it specifically in an athletic population very in a very robust fashion. How do you yeah. tend to, to analyze that problem?
1: Sure. I, I'll say I'm going to come right around to that, Jason. Okay. I'm just yeah, going yeah. to address um, because you'd asked me before too, and I sort of, I apologize, I sort of skipped over about the pulmonary side yes. as well and about roots of administration. And that plays into how we're going to look at this. So on the pulmonary side, I think many of us, certainly my brain goes to what we know from smoking research, Mm -hmm. because there's, there's an analogy to be drawn there for sure. And we know that smoking is not really good for the respiratory side of things. Um, I will say that perhaps surprisingly, um, the literature outside of the exercise world on cannabis use doesn't tend to show that the, the effects on the lungs are as bad as smoking. And there could be a multitude of reasons of why that is. Um, Amongst them that, you know, you have pack-a-day smokers who it's a thing that you do throughout the day. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, you go on a break and it's totally acceptable to have a cigarette. I imagine most workplaces are not as open to having uh, cannabis at lunch. So um, I think the, the amount that people use is probably less, but there, there doesn't seem to be the same effects on, on the way the lung and the, the tubes that supply the lungs are affected. So that's an interesting thing that I think we need to consider. Bring it to your point though, about like how we take in cannabis. Um, I do expect that there are still differences between, for example, smoking it where you are in, you know, you're inhaling hydrocarbons and and it causes inflammation, which will affect the cardiovascular system as well versus vaporization, um, which would be superheating it without, you know, um, actually lighting it on fire, um, or ingestion. Um, and that's going to change a few things from, um, You know, the irritation it may cause to the airways, to the inflammation that may happen in the the blood, um, also to the timing of those effects.
0: That's what I was going to say. Yeah.
1: yeah, um, So when you you inhale something, it it goes through the mucous membranes quite quickly, and it will affect the person. And they may also take a different dose because they will have feedback about how that is quite quickly, whereas it it can be quite delayed when it's ingested and has to clear the gut and get into the system that way. So, sorry, a bit of a long-winded answer, but to get to your question, um, I'll first of all say, while I think edibles are, they appear to be becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And I think there's probably reasons because you avoid all those smoking things that people would be into that. We, uh, our research is starting off avoiding that. Um, and one of the big reasons is just because the pharmacokinetics are slower and harder to to nail down. Right. So we will be starting off looking at um, two different modes of ingestion, which will be smoking or vaporizing um, to understand what is the effect, um, of that in terms of timing, in terms of the way it affects the body. And we're also going to look at, um, high THC versus high CBD.
0: And how do you dose control between those two different methods, right? Because the amount of THC that's actually getting into the system between those two, I imagine is going to be different, even if the concentration per gram or however you're going to measure it there is, is the same between those two routes.
1: Yeah, uh, it's not perfect because it is very hard to do. Right. Um, there's also the reality of, and we learned this the hard way. Um, we, we've actually built a hot box, for lack of a better term, in the laboratory. <laughs> the boss almost fainted uh, when they saw that. What is it? Um, is
0: this plexiglass?
1: It does have a plexiglass door. Oh um, it actually looks like a. It almost looks like an iron lung, Jason, oh <laughs> with God. a big stack at the top. So, so hilarious. Um, we had to come up with a dosing protocol, which was, okay, you're going to, you know, you're going to light it, you're going to inhale, you're going to hold it for this long. And almost to a metronome, this is how you're going to do it. The, the hard part there was realizing um, it hits different people <laughs> quicker than others. Yeah. So um, long story short, we do our best. Uh, we, we use very um, tightly controlled and chemically analyzed f- dried flour. Um, and otherwise, we try to keep all those things the same for how long they keep it in But I mean, there are physiological differences that will affect uptake. So
0: are you going to, I take it you're going to measure downstream THC at some point too, just to see like how much it affected them or how much chemical um, is in them, I guess is the better way to put it. Yeah.
1: So we're not going to do full pharmacokinetics in the first trials that we're doing. Um, And a lot of that is actually to mimic what's been done already with a little bit more scientific control of, okay, here's how much we gave them. We won't know exactly how much got in and how much that affected, but quite frankly, we're starting with fairly low doses. Um, and part of that is just because, uh, it's a healthcare. <laughs> I, a I get it. I get it. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I am going to I'm gonna ask a few more questions on this. And at the end, if people can sign up, I can link it up in the show notes because I'm going to get a zillion questions if, especially for people in that area that want to participate in the study. But, um, <laughs> do you know what the exercise protocol is going to be yet?
1: I do. So um, for our early work, um, despite me coming from an ultra running background, uh, we specifically targeted cycling exercise. Um, and the reason that we did that is because it's it's a whole lot easier to quantify work output because uh we can measure it in watts. Yeah. Um and without getting into running power and all those fun things, uh it's just a little bit cleaner for us. Yeah. So um, we, we have a few questions we want to answer in here. Uh, the first is actually without looking at exercise at all. Um, since the 70s and 80s, techniques, scientific techniques have become a lot more advanced. So we want to repeat some of those things using ultrasound, echocardiography. Um, we just have better, fancier tools. So we want to re-ask some of those questions. Just what happened when you were resting? So looking at cardiac function, pulmonary function, those kind of things. Um, then we're actually going to ask people to, um, to get on a bike and we're doing a 20 minute all out test. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Um, the, the better part is you actually get to have to do it four different times on different days under different conditions. And so that's how we're going to start to address these questions of like, what, what is the effect? Is it the way that you took it? So whether you smoked it or vaped it, um, is it about the amount of THC is it about the amount of CBD? Cause we have different strains of that as well. Um, and then what we think is cool as nerdy scientists, uh, we're also doing neat things like we're actually tapping into the sympathetic nervous system uh a colleague who can put a, a microelectrode right into a nerve and we can take recordings of that. Never been done before, but we're actually we're getting people high while we're re- recording those those outputs. Wow. Um and the, the early data is um super exciting. Huh. So,
0: so your four conditions are sober, smoke, vape, and then a low dose, high dose? Is that-
1: right? So we do have a control just so we can yeah. understand where they're at. And then we will have, um, basically the two variables we change is how you took it. So vaping versus smoking yeah. and then high THC or high CV.
0: Oh, got it. Okay. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Super fascinating. And so when is this research going to start? Well, it's underway now. Okay. Um, so you don't need we, any more we, subjects. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> We're actually not hurting for subjects. Uh, time <laughs> is a big challenge for us. Um, I guess the real challenge, though, is when we do these types of performance studies, um, one of the things we need is somebody that is um, highly, they can replicate their effort. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sure the endurance crowd can appreciate this. Uh, we have some <laughs> we have local pot smokers that are interested, but a 20-minute effort and doing the same thing yeah. um, and letting the condition change that as opposed to an extraneous factor like you're just tired or you don't want to motivate yourself. Yeah. Um, that's where we actually need a fairly high level of athlete if we can find it.
0: So are you going to placebo control it as well or just to, just to control?
1: Yeah. Great question. In this study, we're not,
0: yeah. um, cause that in, would be interesting that, too, right? Like just uh, to like put no THC or CBD in it. A hundred
1: percent. Um, in this study, we decided not to, because some of the, the main variables that we're interested in, um, it's unlikely that somebody could control their physiological response sure. to those. Like sure. you can't say like, oh, I'll just make, you know, my vascular stiffness change. Um, but to your point, I mean, that's an extremely important consideration when we start thinking about performance and stuff. So, um, I think we're, we're opening Pandora's box, to be honest, this is the first of probably many studies.
0: Wow. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I'm going to bring you back on when it comes out and we can talk about the results. Sure. I could see you're psyched about it. That's cool. So you're in the middle of it. When do you expect to wrap up?
1: Um, well, quite honestly, quicker than we expected. Um, we are the first we're the first people we know of in Canada and maybe honestly in the world to be able to do uh, precisely what we're doing now. Um, One of the challenges with being the first is that you don't know what you don't know when you start. And cannabis comes with, in Canada, it comes with an expiry date. So um, we're going to be done in a couple months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You got to push the envelope on it then. Okay. So we've been talking about performance and I want to bridge this a little bit to recovery as well. Um, yeah. because this is, recovery is always a hot topic. It doesn't matter whether it's a modality or a, uh, or a supplement or, you know, the amount of protein that you're taking in in your shake or whatever, it's always a really big deal. And one of the purported, one of the purported benefits of THC and CBD uses is that it enhances recovery through all of these different mechanisms. And you looked at that in, uh, in this, in this review article as well. What, what did, what did you find on the recovery element of it specifically that we can keep in mind when athletes are trying to, are trying to navigate this space?
1: Sure. I'm actually going to start, I'll preface this answer, um, but just by saying two things. Um, One, despite me being excited, as you point out, um, I actually feel like I'm a bit of a convert here that I was a real skeptic of a lot of this stuff. And I remain skeptical of some things as well. I think as a scientist, it's important um, to follow the evidence as opposed to the hype. Um, So I will say that, um, although I'm coming around on some of these things already. The other, I will say is that uh, we published this with a group from the UK and um, we sort of split the paper into whole cannabis, including THC, which was the part that we really handled because that's where our research is going. And Graham Close, Dr. Graham Close in the UK um, did the part on CBD. And so when you ask that question about recovery, I think a lot of it does Um, really focus on CBD, because we know that CBD in particular is, it's anti-inflammatory. It has anti-inflammatory properties. And so when we think about recovery, whether we're talking about cannabis or any other supplement, a lot of people sort of focus in on that. And, you know, if it knocks down inflammation, it must be good. So I'll start with the skeptical side of saying, um, I think the research has shown us on a number of these things, whether it be curcumin or, or any other powerful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, yes, these things can be effective. I think sometimes when we look at um, quote unquote natural products, there's a there's a desire to say it must be better. It's natural. Yeah, cannabis is natural, and it may it, it does have some anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties that I think are important. However. Um, I remain a little bit skeptical on some of these things because we now know that, um, just because something happens in a disease state, so chronic inflammation is bad. Um, knocking that down is good, but that doesn't mean that's true of, um, the same f- for ex- exercising athletes. I want right? you to so, say that
0: again, say that again, cause that is really <laughs> important for athletes.
1: Y- yeah. So, um, just because it implies in one situation doesn't mean it applies in another. And I'll give a very specific example outside of the cannabis world here. Um, Years ago, I don't think we ever actually published this data, but I was approached by a supplement company to look at their product. We'll just say that powerful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and uh, they were certain it was going to make athletes better. And it was a double blind, meaning I didn't know who had been given what. They didn't know what they had. And so you run the study, and I was quite certain in looking at the data that I knew what it was. So in this study, what we did is we beat them up really badly. We your group will be able to appreciate this. We put them on a downhill treadmill and we ran them. It was only about 60% of VO2 max. We ran them for, I think about an hour and that really breaks down muscle. You hurt. And, uh, and then for seven days after that, they either got a placebo or they got this supplement. And then we did the same thing to them again. We ran them downhill, see if we could cause that. Anybody that's worked out too hard, you know, as a new year's resolution knows that, uh, you can hurt a lot. You get a lot of doms, but then you're unlikely to cause that sort of effect again, because your body goes like, Oh, that, that sucked. We should get better at that. Uh, we call that the repeated doubt effect. So here we are at the end of this. I've got two groups. I don't know who's what. And, uh, when we did it the second time, one group had all sorts of muscle soreness and inflammation and creatine kinase release again. And the other group didn't, and I went, Oh, isn't that cool? had it all figured out. Long story short, I break the blind and it was exactly the opposite of what you would expect. Yeah, yeah. The, the group who had taken this anti-inflammatory, their body essentially had said, oh, it's okay. Like, I don't need to get better. It solved itself. <laughs> right? And so um, long story short, that would suggest that taking this powerful antioxidant inflammatory actually the exact opposite of what people would want. Yeah. You might've felt better. So maybe if you had to race in those seven days, that would make sense. But if you want to become a better athlete through training, which is what most of us are trying to do, that doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. You're blunting the adaptive response. And That's exactly. you could what look is. at any of the anti-inflammatory mechanisms, whether it's ice or a cold bath or whatever. And there's always evidence that will point to and, and yeah, there's greater degrees of magnitude depending upon the type of exercise, but anytime you're blunting, that inflammatory response in an athletic situation that literally what you're doing is you're blunting the adaptive response. It's pretty simple. You took the words right out of my mouth. And uh, I think, um, when I came to, I'm at the university of Guelph and we have a, uh, a
1: history, a very good cross country program. And that's one of the first things yeah. I wanted to change when I got here was to say, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be getting the ice bath after every workout. Yeah. Simple um, stuff.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Uh, Let's take that and apply it to cannabis. I I think we need to be aware of the fact that um, we don't have to just look at CBD or or cannabis as a potentially an inflammatory to say, maybe we should be wary of some of these things. Um, Other than that, though, I will say there there are other things we need to think about with CBD. Um, There is definitely hype that goes with it.
0: Um, So much hype. So much hype. Hype.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I think that raises a bit of a red flag for me, but um, some of the things that have been proposed is, you know, it might help with this delayed onset muscle soreness may knock down inflammation. There is, I'll say weak evidence of those things at, at present. We need more, we need more data on those. Um, some people will use it for um, sleep as well. And there's some evidence from particularly disease populations um, where there may be a benefit of that. I would say my read of the literature, and what I take from Dr. Close, is that in athletes, the effects we see may well be placebo. Um, So we need to be very careful with that. If somebody believes something is going to work, there's a reasonable chance it will to some degree. Um, And then there's also some some information for um, contact sport athletes that there may be some effects on the brain and and, in pain as well. I guess the last thing I'll I'll say in that that I think is really important for the athletes listening to this is particularly if you're in a sport that gets tested, you need to be very careful with CBD because CBD is one of many cannabinoids contained in cannabis. So if you are after a CBD product, you need to make sure that it's not going to get you flagged for using a banned substance. Um, CBD is legal in some of these places, but um, the tolerance for a cannabinoid, not just THC, uh, they can be quite low.
0: Whenever they've done research on specifically the anti-inflammatory properties of it, one of the things that I always keep coming back to is is the dosage, because you see a big discrepancy between what the literature is trying to tease out on the dose and the commercially available products, and even yep. within the commercially available products, you'll get you know as low as five milligrams of a dose to something that might be you know maybe up to two hundred milligrams. What can you say about that? Because that's a really interesting area, and we're always—I mean, you—you you just went through this elaborate explanation of how you're trying to control the dose in your cannabis study on exercise. Here's one where, even in the commercial space, you see these wildly different doses, and when you compare it to the literature, it's hard to people—it's hard for people to really make heads nor tails of it.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think there's a lot there to be honest. A, a few things I'd say: um, a lot of the work that we'll see as I noted before, it comes from animal studies and sometimes that's not even living mammals, right? That's muscle tissue. So, um, I guess one of the big things we need to be aware of and to think about is like, are we talking about a physiological dose? Is this something that can even occur in the living human body, like bioavailability? Um, that would be one thing I'd say sometimes in the literature, we will see extremely high and extremely low doses, um, for very practical scientific reasons, but for the applicability to the everyday athlete, we need to consider what that is. So sometimes when we run a study in my lab, we'll take what we call the sledgehammer approach. It costs us so much time and money to run a study. We don't want to be faced with the fact that afterwards we go like, oh, maybe we should have given a little more. (laughs) That's a very real consideration for us. Um, So sometimes you'll see very high doses selected and maybe you don't realize, but that might be the reason on the flip side. And I guess our work is a good example of this. You may see a very low dose. Um, I suspect the cannabis that we are using is lower than what most typical users might actually use. Um, And we're doing that because health Canada and our research ethics board, you know, they want us to be cautious. And I understand that. Um, So another consideration there as well. And then I guess the last thing I'd say, and I'll be careful about what I comment on the way things are done through the FDA, but I can tell you in Canada, um, supplements in general are, they're a weirdly controlled area.
0: They're not controlled Um, at all in the U S you can say whatever you want. (laughs) There's no consequence. I mean, I can say that. I mean, it's, I could, you know, I could put out, you know, ground rubber and put it in a pill and call it a supplement. I mean, it's just so freaking ridiculous anyway.
1: Yeah. We seem to share a similar opinion on this, but I I think that's where um, as a consumer, we need to be very careful about um, what's the burden of proof, because for a drug, there needs to be safety and efficacy demonstrated for supplements, not so much. And beyond that, oftentimes when a company, um, finds some scientific proof of something that could be advantageous, they will take that and run with it. So to your point, you know, they may have a very low dose of whatever it is, anti-inflammatory, um, But the the claim will be, you know, this contains a product that does X, Y, Z. So
0: So speaking to your sledgehammer approach, are there any negatives to a high dose approach? Because we have, there has been a lot of research on very high doses of CBD in in different populations and people who have epileptic seizures, especially children and things like that. When we're looking at it from, not from that population, but from a normal person, Hey, I I want to sleep better. I want to recover better, or whatever. And I, I'm personally going to take the sledgehammer approach and take ten. You know, we're ultra marathoners. We do 10x of whatever is prescribed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Is what are the potential negatives to it?
1: Um, I'll be careful what I say because I don't I don't know what we don't know to be honest. Yeah. But um, I suspect. I mean, from a pure CBD point of view, I, I suspect like any other anti-inflammatory, um, it, it probably relates to that idea of like, are we just completely ablating the natural response? I would be thinking yeah. about that yeah. for sure. I think when we think about CBD in particular, though, um, my point about, you know, it's one of many cannabinoids. There are over a hundred Um different cannabinoids. And we tend to, when we talk about cannabis to talk about two, right? It's as if there's only CBD or THC. Um, I, I think there's a lot we don't know about those other cannabinoids and what effects they might have and which ones come with it. So maybe the concern right now is about, is it going to make you test positive? Is it THC? Maybe we do need to think about what are the effects of those? Because if CBD can do what it does and THC can do what it does, it's highly likely that those other ones do things that we they're not on our radar yet. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's a reasonable way to approach it. And maybe I'm just being, you know, an overly cautious scientist in that response too. But the other thing I, I think I'll say is if we look at whole cannabis, um, when we consider the effects on things like blood pressure um, dose matters for sure. Yeah. So um, we know that, you know, in most people, we are going to see this slight increase in blood pressure. We also know in people that use cannabis a lot, um, that effect actually changes and we can think of many things in physiology where the dose directly changes the response. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but, um, I would probably aim for moderation. I, I,
0: well, I can, I'm remembering back to one of my very first podcast episodes a couple of years ago with Joanna Zeiger, who, uh, was a national class endurance athlete, and she had a really bad accident on the bike and had chronic pain for years. And the the gradual use of, of THC and C B D is it's it she feels is one of the ways that she was able to eventually overcome that and and to live a healthy lifestyle and get back running and writing and things like that. And one of the things she she impressed upon me during the course of that podcast is, is that you always need to start low and titrate up, right? And we use titrate in the chemistry world, right? That's my background is about <laughs> with a biochemistry degree. It, it speaking to just that, you don't know what the you don't know what you don't know. But if you start low and then gradually, very slowly titrate things up, then you can find something that, that kind of works for you in, in, a, in a very end of one experimental experimental fashion. She told this hilarious story of how she started out with a patch and just left it on all night and it would just it just turned out bad. So listeners can go and tune back to that story to, to hear it. So, to, but it's actually a funny anecdote of it was like you can't always take the sledgehammer to these things because you don't know what the individual response is going to be.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, this idea of hormesis, if that means anything to people, it's all about the dose before it becomes toxic. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think when we relate back even to our own training, you know, um, little bits of consistent training are absolutely important and, and good for us. That's how we get better because the body has these little insults and in responds. But if you, maybe this isn't great for an ultra marathon group, but when you go and absolutely smash yourself, it can be too much. Yeah. That's when breakdown irreparable breakdown happens in injury and, and those kinds of
0: things i'm kind of coming away and when i read the paper i came away with the sentiment as well is that there's just a lot that we don't know and right now a lot of the i'm going to use the word practice right the practice of using cannabis and cbd products in the field is being derived by the practice of the people that are currently doing it and just them passing, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Just like Joanna, right? I just titrated up. I started, I made a mistake. I went all the way down to the bottom and I titrated up versus, you know, you're going to a pharmacy and they've already got the doses kind of figured out for you. If you're getting any other type of drug, is is that really, is that a fair synopsis of the state of, of, of what we know about this in the athletic space right now?
1: To be honest, Jason, yeah, I think it is. I think one of the things that struck me most when I got into this world was uh, how little we actually knew. I just assumed that we knew more than we do because all these decisions had been made, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's—I hate to admit this—but I think that's actually a reality of um, being a sports scientist. Things that I, I've seen in a few different worlds where oftentimes the the athlete is ahead of the scientist because they're they're able to try things that we can't, right? Yeah. And of one. And this anecdata keeps building. And then we kind of go like, well, wait a minute, why did that work? And then we're playing catch up to to figure that out.
0: I had a friend, I had a friend ask me, uh, going back to, I told him I was going to bring you on the podcast. He's like, I'll make sure you ask him what this strain versus that strain does. And I'm like, well, hold on. We don't, we can't even like say fundamentally, you know, which way's up and which way's down in this. So like, let's, let's like, let's wait like five years and get some of the initial research done. And then we could start and We could get into the different <laughs> strains and how those different strains affect you. But let's like crawl before we can walk here.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, I mean, you'd asked earlier about like, are we doing placebos and this and that? And I think quite honestly, we're at that point where we got to get like, we got to get the big picture things down. Like what do we really believe is the main effect in most people? And already, I mean, we've tested a few people in the lab and uh, we've seen very different responses enter individually So that's where we'll go next is like trying to understand what, what's the nuance to all these things.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. So you think the inter individual inter -inter individually thing is going to be the next, that the next piece that comes out.
1: I think that'll be a huge part. Um, yeah. And dosing and, um, all those kind of things. I'll give you one, um, anecdote here. Uh, I'll be, I'll be very honest about the way we do this. I mean, we were a little bit nervous starting into this research as well. And, uh, you don't want to mess things up with, uh, particularly in this kind of world, with people you don't know. So we started with some of the PhD students in the lab and um, said, "Okay, you know, you're very familiar with the exercise and with the people around, so let's try this." Um, maybe I'll share two quick anecdotes here. The first was we were worried because we were only using, you know, one to two percent THC, and we'd never tried our dosing protocol. So I said to Christian, who's leading this study, "I was like, hey, how did it go? Like, was it uh, was it too weak? Did did people notice anything?" quite the opposite <laughs> he said no he was high way before we expected his eyes turns red he started giggling he you know That's had trouble getting him on the bike um, which was kind of funny to me but I asked one of the students um, hey what was your perception of the exercise because there's a lot of things you know as a cardiovascular physiologist we can we can quantify them we can measure those things I can tell you what happened but I was quite curious about their perception and uh, he admitted to me he said I was really nervous about this I, I was dreading doing this because I I was sure it was gonna hurt so bad when I'd use THC. And they don't know what condition they're in, yeah, yeah. but um he was pretty sure he knew. <laughs> I mean it's hard to <laughs> blind on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And uh anyways, he said to me, well, Once I once I got on for the warm-up, I knew it was gonna be a good day. And I killed it. Wow. And uh hopefully he doesn't hear this until after the study's done. But uh then I went to the researcher and said, how'd he do? And they said, he was absolutely terrible. (laughs) He thought he was great.
0: (laughs) This is what I was getting to with the anecdotes. It's like, you think you're really good, but you're really not. That's what I keep coming back to. And I've run with people who are high before and they tell me the same thing. I'm like, I'm running really good right now. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like we're way slower than we normally are. Like your sense of reality is completely warped.
1: Yeah. And so... Coming back to this idea of nuance and inter-individual, um, I mean, I don't know where that's going to go because, you know, over 20 minutes, his wattage was down. He, he didn't have that. But, like, if I put on my athlete hat, like, if I thought I was doing really well, you know, and I just kept that going sure. and later on the race, yeah. may, maybe maybe I saved some for later and I'm just like, I'm doing great. Yeah. I, I I can dig deep. I don't know
0: well there's this there's always there's this also element of those things are easy to control for in the lab right I mean you can go and you can go to a certain power output you can do an a graded exercise test, a volitional exhaustion time trial like what you guys are doing, and things like that. Yeah. Ultramarathon gets more complicated, and one of the reasons we're going to end on this note because it's going to be totally theoretical, just like the rest of it is going to be but one of the one of the theories and one of the use cases in ultra marathon uh, running is specifically to help out with the nausea. That occurs during during a race, and you know this athletes will do anything to cure a I mean they will do anything they 'll do things that they 've never even conceived of trying and training yeah. to try to alleviate a sour stomach in the middle of a race, so they can take in calories and they 're not puking all over the course and things like that, and a lot of the cannabis users that are trail runners that I talk to. Have a have that as a, the ones that aren't doing it more recreationally. I just like to run when I'm high, and they like that experience. The ones that are using it from a per, from a performance standpoint are saying this is this is the use case. I'm using it specifically to stave off nausea, and I mean, once your your paper doesn't even really re, kind of really even touch on that.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a great point, and I I'm going to avoid. I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to avoid making a specific comment on nausea in particular, but I can see the case that you're making. Um, I will address, though, the point which I think is very valid. Um, lab testing does not always equal the real world, yeah. because um, particularly being an altered state of mind in you know a super hygienic environment where people are watching you, you got wires coming off your chest, and you're breathing through tubes, it's not the same experience, I'm certain, as running through the woods. Um, I'll be careful what I say here, but we do have in the works, a uh, a grant, which is under review right now with a company based on the West coast um, where they have a real interest in taking it to the real world. And and we recognize that, but that's a different thing. Mm. Um, Maybe I'll I'll leave it somewhat vague, but we, we do have some plans to get it to BC to work with some ultra runners who may just be using cannabis on their own. And we might just say, Hey, can we watch, Um, and sort of observe what happens to you, or maybe track car rate, in this real world setting, quite honestly, I will not be allowed to give people cannabis and say like, Hey, go run through the woods. (laughs) Um, But I'll give you one more teaser. There's, there's really, this is fascinating to me. There's some interesting work coming from animal models that shows it might also not be all about TH when we think about how the brain responds and how the body feels as a result. Um, For years, we have thought that uh, the runner's high was with an opioid effect, right? It's this endogenous opioid release. And and I'm sure most of your listeners know what I'm talking about. The runner's high. There's convincing evidence now that it's probably endocannabinoid. So here come these intersecting worlds of what happens naturally and and what's becoming increasingly more popular. So I think the link between um, THC use and this high feeling of running is pretty obvious. There's some really cool work though. that shows there may be a link between CBD as well. And so while CBD does not have psychotropic effects through a, a series of reactions in the body, extra CBD could enhance the natural high from the endocannabinoid mm. system. And that to me is fascinating. So that's where we're probably going to take that work out in the real world of we'll take blood from people and we can use some fancy analysis of that blood and we'll ship it back across country and analyze it over here and, and see if, if there are differences in the way the body responded as a result.
0: That's cool as shit. And I can't wait till that comes out. So will you come back on the podcast whenever you get some initial results from it? Sounds like a plan. Putting you on the spot here. All right. I'll I'll have links to the show notes on how you can find Jamie, but I really appreciate your time, man. This is super, super fun for me. I'm sure it's going to generate a lot of interest and you're at the leading edge, man. I mean, like you said, nothing like this has ever been done before. And I think we're going to look back 10 years at some of this initial work that you're doing and we're going to be in a whole lot of, a whole lot better position to answer all these questions that we can't answer right now.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's been a pleasure talking. And um, I do just want to make sure that I give credit to, uh, as I said, Christian Chung, PhD student. He's really the driving force. He dragged me into this. Um, and so maybe we can get him on to to kind of give you the, the insight when he gets that worked up.
0: And this is going to be y'all's bag now, you know, <laughs> you started the area. Now you're going to have to live with it. <laughs> We're going to have to paint the lab green and oh, change our logo or something. Oh, my God. All right, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Jason. Thanks. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Jamie for coming on the podcast today and having a really good time with this particular topic. I don't know why we got so giggly during the entire time. It was, it was really fun and extremely insightful, even though there's not a lot of research on this. More importantly, Jamie, thank you for what you do. I think you are answering a lot of questions that people like me and athletes around the world that are curious about this topic, you are helping us to understand the landscape a whole lot better. And I realize that that research is incredibly problematic to do. So 10 years down from the 10 years down the line from now, we're going to be indebted to whatever you and your research uh, group up there start to find out. Appreciate the heck out of everybody tuning in today. As always, this podcast has no sponsors, no endorsers. I don't take any money from anybody, including the CBD companies. So I can talk about them during the course of this podcast like we did today. You can help the podcast out by sharing it with your friends, family, and your running partners. That helps the podcast out a lot. You can give me a kudos or thanks on social media. I really appreciate hearing from the audience either through Instagram or when they hit me up through my website. You can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That always means a lot to me and helps the podcast out a lot. But most importantly, I just hope that everybody enjoys the content contained within this. We try to tackle topics that are pertinent for all trail and ultra runners, topical, and also sometimes a little bit fun as you guys found out today. Appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.